brand new experiment. We just recorded this interview and I'm going to ask Scott to quickly do like a TLDR for those of you that are checking this out so you get a sense of what's going to happen over the next 40 or so minutes of this podcast. Great. So as a large organization, when we're trying to do uh, big work, we, we need to use epics, features, and user stories to talk about and balance and solve for the three different things we need to solve for. We need to, we need to solve for the desired outcomes, why, why we're doing this, right? It's an investment decision aligned with strategic intent. There's something we're trying to do as a business. As a user, a user has goals and we're trying to help them achieve their goals. And then we need to manage the flow of work. We need to make choices about what we're going to go build and features define what we build and schedule into releases. And so bringing those three different viewpoints together requires us to appreciate that they are different kinds of artifacts that serve different purposes. Happy New Year. This is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. It is now 2020, and Scott Selhorst is here. The rest of the world is nursing hangovers or trying to figure out what they did last night, but Scott and I are ready to go to work. Right, Scott? Absolutely, and Happy New Year to you as well, Dave. What a great way to start the year. Yes. So, uh, you know, we're always trying to improve what we do. I'm trying to improve the experience for the students in my classes and my own understanding. And Scott's going to help me do that. Um, we're going to talk about something that should be simple, but gets a lot of people twisted up. So we're going to talk about epics, features, and user stories, and what the difference between these differences are between these things, why they're relevant. But before we do that, Scott, could you explain to these people who you are and what you do at Leading Agile? Uh, sure. So I lead the product management practice at Leading Agile, where what what we are doing for companies when we help them with transformation, it's not just getting more efficient at doing work, it's becoming more effective as organizations. And so that means our footprint isn't just the technical practices or the scrum teams, uh, you know, getting better at that uh, team level operations. It's really changing how we uh, manage and deploy strategy, how we decide what work we do and how we become effective at listening to our customers and our markets for feedback to change the plans on the fly. It's really the true business agility that we're driving. And so as, as part of a cross-functional team, uh, one of the, where my emphasis is, is on that decision-making about uh, what it means to be done, what work we should do, how do we know if we're done, how do we know when we need to make things better. Right. All of that is backdrop to making an organization more effective that goes hand in hand with all of the practices and techniques of making an organization more efficient at doing the work they choose to do. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so one of the things I was thinking about while you were giving your introduction was the fact that a lot of times in the podcast, um, I try to like pretend that I don't know what I'm talking about, you know, to get help somebody to talk about something. Not not often, but sometimes I get to do interviews with people that I know I'm like a complete student. And in this context, I am a total student. Um, when I'm in class and people ask me about the difference between epics and features and stories, 
I usually leave stories out of it. I go to epics, features, and themes, and I say that an epic is something too big to do. A feature is a capability we give to a customer, and a theme is a collection of related product backlog items. But I know that you think about these things in a much deeper context than I do, especially as to how they tie back to company strategy and what the organization is trying to achieve um, from a business agility perspective and everything else. So where, where should we start in trying to create clarity around these? Uh, okay, so I, I love your question about where we should start. For, first of all, all of the things you just said are, are great things to focus on. Okay. Uh, I, I anchor on a little bit of a different way of telling the story that I eventually get to where you are. Okay. Uh, but I focus on where people are starting. And, and part of what helps me do that with this is I actually started in a world that didn't have features. My introduction to Agile was the epics and stories world. Where me epics, too. That's me too. Yep. Epics, epics at the time, 20 years ago, were uh, these are stories that are epically large. They're too big to do in a sprint. And so let's break them up. That was the way the conversation started. And that was some of the stuff that was done to help teams who are independent execute more effectively independently. And then as larger organizations started adopting this vernacular, this approach to doing work and agile practices, uh, the, a lot of the thought leaders discovered that that was insufficient to solving the complicated problems that large organizations need to solve. And so why, why is that? Do you uh, yeah. So part of it is how you get coordination of activity across teams. Okay. You, uh, you can't, you can't look at a list of a hundred items or a thousand items and see a pattern. Right. So like that's it. That's the thing that themes helps you address with. Um, but themes are actually more effective for saying which things should we release together. Right. So it's more of a market facing. Right. Technique. Like all the account management tools. Yeah. Like it's it's the how do I how do I create a compelling event for my customers that make them want to buy when they didn't want to before. Okay. Make them want to upgrade when they didn't want to before. And so you you coalesce collections of things that makes sense together from the point of view of the user, which is not really right. That outside in thinking is a little bit, uh, it's a, it's a foreign concept to a lot of the teams that we get to work with okay. and we introduce it and they embrace it every single time, which is fantastic. Uh, but so that, that rolls back into user stories were created. I think, uh, or I don't know why they were created. I know that one of the things that makes them super valuable is it helps you shift from an inside out to an outside in point of view. Inside out, we think about, we imagine all the things that we would build that solve problems that we think need to be solved. Okay. And then we, and then we go and build them. And maybe they solve the problems. Maybe those problems weren't important to solve. Uh, we don't, we don't really know. Like we, we, we build it, we put it out in the market and we find out what's wrong with it. And that's, you know, that, that was the, the classic pattern of waterfall. And one of the reactions to that was, well, why don't we talk about doing work in the language of solving the problems our customers have? Yeah. Right. As a user, I have a goal. And so I need to do something in order to achieve that goal. 
And here are the criteria by which I would accept whatever it is you build that you want me to use to help me achieve my goal. Right. That's the, that's the core of a user store. Okay. Your, accept, your acceptance criteria, what you document is how the user declares success at achieving their goal. And okay. then our job is to figure out what we, would, what we might do that helps them achieve their goal. Right. That outside-in framing is, is really uncomfortable for people because we don't have any control over it. Yeah. We can control what we choose to build. And we can control when we choose to build it, assuming we're able to efficiently operate to get it done, right? Right. But we can't control whether or not our customers wanted it, whether or not it was a good design for them, whether or not it was the most important thing to do for them. Like, that's outside of our control. All we can do is influence it. And that makes it uncomfortable. But that's really the, you know, all the, you know, down at the, uh, you know, at the bare metal, that's the kind of change we're putting in place. Yeah. It's a change in perspective. And as a large organization where we are solving for multiple groups of customers in multiple contexts, multiple problems across sort of the, the breadth of our engagement with them as customers, as a company. And we can't, we can't, organize and work effectively together just talking about stories because everybody is oriented around the set of goals and then that becomes a question of well which team should be addressing which goal can i jump in for one second before we get to this level okay so um while you're talking i was also kind of digging up some of the stuff about where they come from and in the xp site it talks about how they're evolved from use cases and if i if i think about a use case to me, one of the things that makes them a little bit insufficient is that it's from that usually engineers that were that were writing them or a group of people who are not on the user side telling what the system's going to do, how the people are going to respond. We're kind of making it all up, never really thinking about the intention that the person on the other side of the screen has. So this swings that shift, like you said, the focus to the other side. We think about the customer, but neither one by itself is going to get all the pieces in the middle that we need. Right. And that's, and that's the magic of it, right? It's for, for a large organization. What, what we ultimately have to do is, is we have to solve for the things that are good for the business and good for the customer. Right. And a user story doesn't, doesn't even have the syntax for talking about things that are good for the business. Okay. Right. We, we want our objectives to be, the things that advance our strategy and the things that are good for our customers. And if I think about that, like a Venn diagram, I want to be in that overlap. I don't want to do things that are good for the business, but exploit our customer base in order to do it. There are businesses you can look at where it feels like that model is really about uh, extracting value from your market. And that's, that's just not a, that's not a healthy, sustainable business to be in. Right. Right. And the flip side is if we build things that are not economically viable for us, regardless of how nice and wonderful they are for the customer, we're not going to be around for very long. Yeah. And so, so, so we need to make choices about things. You know, when we think about as, as the teams who are deciding what to do, we aren't solving, we aren't focusing inside out on the things that we think might be good for the business and that might be good for the customer. We're 
flipping it around and saying, let's discover what the customer cares about and let's understand what the business objectives are that set the context in which we're working. Well, you and there's a, something I think that is worth noting you just mentioned too. You used the word think. We think this is the right thing to do for the business or for the customer. We think the customer wants it, but we've also got to get these things down to a small enough bet that we're not going to lose the farm if they don't want it or if it's not the right thing for us. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, uh, you know, if anybody digs back to the podcast we did on empathy mapping, uh, Will, Will Evans, another member of the Leading Agile team, uh, I really love the way he put it. We don't use an empathy map to bring together what we already understand about our customers. We use an empathy map to identify the things we don't understand that we need to go understand better, right? So, so your comment about this is what we think, that's, uh, it's, it's an intentional word that I use. So I, I love that you picked up on it uh, because we want to go then manage the risk of us being wrong. Right? Yeah. This, is, this is acknowledging that we're building things outside of our scope of control. Okay. And so as a large organization, when, when we come back and solve for it, like in the product management world, you can develop a strategy and it's not necessarily easy, but we know what the goal is. Develop a strategy of here's a market opportunity that is financially interesting to the company and worth pursuing. Okay. That is also solving a real problem for our customers that is valuable to them where we can create something because of because we are us that they can't create on their own right maybe it's an economy of scale or whatever it is right. there is some reason that we can do something that makes they economic can. sense to us and it makes economic sense to them okay so we find those overlaps and that's what you would call a good strategy but that's still not enough that could be that's that could be an objective so you're talking good about strategy. like way above the level of of epics or features or user structure they are like the vision level yeah uh yeah uh yes you can go all the way up to that but even down within a vision you can say you know what we're we are trying to establish our presence in a particular market segment so we're we're going to in the context of a vision have some goal of saying achieving a 10 percent market share or a five percent share of wallet with the customers we already have right those levels of uh, product strategy in the context of a company strategy and vision, right? So like even down lower, closer, closer to the metal, like the, the teams that are making decisions about what to do, uh, you know, even, even if it comes down to the point of saying, well, we've got really good marketing. A lot of people come check out our products, but we're not good at onboarding. And so they check us out and then they move on. So let's solve that problem. Let's get people, you know, let's fix our funnel. That, oh, we've got to have some metric, some way of measuring performance there, right? Right. And, and we'll absolutely get to the measuring how effective we are at improving the funnel. Okay. And, and we don't talk about the work as saying, uh, let's go build an automatic sign-up campaign. We talk about the work in terms of improving our funnel performance. Okay. We, we talk in the language of the goal to the business. And then we understand, then we go to understand what problems customers are facing that causes them to abandon us. And so then we identify the user goals associated with solving those problems. And then that's right. So that's how we bring our user story piece in. So can I, is this an okay place to interrupt since I already did? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course. So 
when you, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about all the people I get that I meet in class who at that point would say, okay, so as the user, I want to increase my signup rate by 10%. Like they start writing about things that they want the user to do, but writing them as if the user wants to do them. In the same way that a wife might write, as the husband, I want to not leave water splashed all over the sink when I'm done in the bathroom. He doesn't care. The user doesn't care. The person internally wants this change to happen. But their thought process, and I'm wondering how often you run into this and what you do about it, their thought process is very much on projecting their want or their results that they're trying to hit onto the person they're writing the story for. Yes. Okay. So we run into that 100% of the time. Okay. And so the, right, the easy path to oversimplify you have a conversation with the user and say, hey, why, you know, you, you hit our web page and then you moved on or you loaded our app, yeah. whatever. Uh, why did you do it? And they said, well, what I'm trying to do is find a company that is not, that is not impersonal, that speaks to me, that can help me solve my uh, bike tire reinflation problem or whatever it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm looking for somebody that, uh, that I think can solve my problems. Yeah. And I looked at your website and it's not you. Right. So the user's goal is find somebody to establish a relationship with or find somebody to solve my problem or find somebody to buy a thing from. Right. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to find out if your customers, you know, using this example at the entry to the funnel, are they looking for a transaction or are they looking for a partner or are they looking for a relationship? Do they have problems with trust? Do they have problems with immediacy? Like, what is it that is the actual user's problem? You have to talk to the users to know, right? Yeah. So your point of, I want them to do what I want them to do. That's a horrible user story. Yeah. But it's where, it's where a lot Everybody of people starts. start. Yeah. Okay. Sorry for interrupting. No, 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 no. That's, this, is, this is exactly the shift that the people we work with uh, are making when we yeah. work with them. And so, so now I've, I've got that outside in focus and okay. we know that that leads to better choices about what to build than an inside out focus of let me build stuff and maybe it'll work. I'll find out later. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that is the power of using user stories at that level. And I assume that that's why the shift happened, right? Use cases work the same way, but because they've got so much structure and overhead, uh, we're shifting to something with less overhead, but both use cases and user stories can be used to get an outside in view if you use them well, right? If you don't splash water on the sink. Yeah, but I think use cases aren't so much driven to require conversation. You can write them so that they're so detailed that you might not need a conversation. They almost become like a requirements document. Yeah, they you know, they, they absolutely can't. Right? They have and they, they have that overhead. They have the bias towards yeah doing too much upfront speculation and not enough upfront research. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, but in any case, um, you were, we're combining those from the point of view of our teams. We're combining two different outside-in perspectives, the needs of the business and the need of the customer. Okay. And, and you can put together a plan that is a good plan, but is not a good plan for your company. 
We okay. have to we have to also balance the capabilities and capacity of our organization to execute. It's like a filter, right? right? Of all the possible good plans that land in that overlap of things that are good for the business and things that are good for the customer. Some of them are ones that we could realistically and cost effectively do in a timely manner, and some of them aren't. Okay. And there's, ton, there's, there's a zillion reasons for why we can't, right? We have organizational complexity, we have skills gaps, we have architectural limitations. There's, uh, we could be in a, a regulatory environment or a competitive environment where, you know, these approaches, as, these approaches, as good as they might be, just aren't going to work. And that doesn't make them or the company good or bad. This is just trying to get a better understanding of what we can realistically achieve. They're, yeah, they're just misfits or misalignments. Right? Yeah. It's, so it's, it's, like a, it's like a filter in a shopping experience. I don't want to look at shirts that are too large and too small for me. So narrow it down to the ones that fit me. Yeah. And then I'll pick the one that I prefer. Right. It's the same sort of metaphor. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's, a, that's a big thing for leading Agile. Part of making an organization more effective and more efficient, really, is to only put plans into the system that we're going to be capable of executing. Which sounds and, like a really simple common sense thing, but 90% of the organizations don't, they just see what they want and decide they're yep. going to do it. Yeah. And there's, there's a whole, you know, again, we're a cross-functional team. There's a whole set of things around getting good at finishing versus getting good at starting. And it's, and it's uh, harder to finish when we shift out of our zone of control, right? Because we're focusing on solving the user's problem, not building the thing that I want to build, which right. I imagine might solve their problem. And so that makes it harder to have a conversation about scope, which is why you have to have feedback loops, which is why you have to get aligned on your definitions of success and objectives. So in a, in a large organization, when you, when you bring together the challenges of focusing on finishing, while you give up control of saying, I'm going to do a project with these items and instead say, I'm going to solve this problem and achieve this objective. You need, you need three different things. You need epics, features, and stories. Your epics are, are really good containers for defining your desired outcomes. Your features define what you're going to go build. And we'll get into that in a minute. And your user stories describe the user's goals. So when I, when I think about that Venn diagram, right, with the two, with the two filters, uh, your epic goals are the one side and your user goals are the other side. And so we only want to pick the things that live in the overlap of both. And then the features talk about our best approach that we know of to achieve the two different objectives. And, and features tend to be where without disparaging project managers, where project managers anchor because features are what's visible. Because they're deliverables. The we build. Yeah, they, yeah, that's what we deliver. It's what we schedule into a release. It's what we plan on. It's what we break down into tasks. It's what we build. We build a feature with the hope that a user will solve their problem by using it. And that as a result of that, it will change the business in a way that achieves our desired outcomes or our objectives. So the way that you just talked about these things has me stuck on one question that is going to be really impactful, I think, 
I'm curious to hear your answer because I think no matter what happens, it's going to have a huge impact on me and anybody else who's listening. No pressure. I hear people <laughs> talk about this and they'll say, well, does it go, you know, which thing kind of falls under which? And I always explain it like, look, I've, there's companies that go epic feature story, feature epic story, story, like every combination of those words, you can throw theme in there whenever you want. There's some company that treats these things as if they kind of decompose one level at a time. But the way that you're talking about them and, and what their intention is, it sounds like these are three things that might live in parallel, but not necessarily feeding from one directly into the other. It is, okay, so that's, yes. It is not uh, one directional, it's bi-directional. Okay, okay. We, can you explain that? Sure, so if I, if I start out by saying I have a desired outcome, and yeah. I've captured it in my epic. I can talk about the economic viability of uh, pursuing something. And then my architects can, and my designers and my technical folks can say, this is what we can build that we think would achieve that. And then you can say, in the context of the user goals, right, of the problems they're trying to solve in the market and why they might be interested in what we're doing. Here are the goals that they have given the way we chose to build, right? And that's, that's actually another interesting asterisk, right? A user doesn't want to log in to your web page. A user wants a safe and secure and private transaction. What we choose to build is a login wall, Right. We, we, we protect the environment with security that requires them to authenticate in order to achieve their real goal of a secure private transaction. Okay. And so like that's your that's your one directional path. But then flipping it back the other way, we can say, well, wait a second. What about what about users who don't want to have to log in? Right. Maybe just maybe we can use authentication that says, if you are in possession of your phone, you are sufficiently authenticated to achieve whatever your privacy objectives are. Because, right, you're not, you're not doing financial transactions, you're just keeping track of uh, auctions on eBay so that you can snipe them or something. Sure. Right, all, all we need is, is an association of your identity with whatever information we already know you care about. And so you don't have to log in, but you are sufficiently private and secure, right? So coming back from the user goals gives us the opportunity to say, oh, well, wow, I would build completely different stuff. So throw those features away. Here's some different features. Or we can come back the other way and say, our ability to build these features to a particular degree, uh, we believe will completely or incompletely solve the problems that cause changes in behavior that lead to our desired outcomes. And so we have a feedback loop that says, you know what, the original objective, that's impractical, but we could get 80% of it at, you know, at half of the cost of achieving all of it. And that is a good business decision. Okay. So the things we choose to build causes us to come back and revisit our our outcomes for the business, which then also has ripples up into the, you know, across teams of saying, well, if we're only going to get 80% of that objective, does that disrupt 
the broader collection of objectives? Or do we need to come back in and revisit our funding perspective or ask our teams to go back to the drawing board and invent a different way because the objective is the objective, right? So all of this stuff goes in both directions and it needs to go in both directions. Can I offer a really simple example and see if this works? Please do. Okay. Sort of riffing off of what you were just talking about. So if my desired outcome as a company is I want an, uh, assuming that I have some way of measuring it, an increase in customer confidence in our ability to provide a secure environment. Okay. My user goal is that when I'm completing some kind of, I'm logging into my account, I want to know that my personal information is secure. Okay. And I would write that in some kind of user store format, but the feature would be to... Um, you know, the two where you get the code and you have to type the code in off your phone. I'm going to build that functionality so that the user can get the code on their phone, type it into the website, then they can log in securely. Two-factor, what is it? You know, the Yeah, yeah two-factor authentication or yeah. multi-factor authentication is that world. Uh, that okay, so, so that's, that's, that's a great frame and that's actually would be a really good starting point. And here is, here is an example of how we would shift that conversation a little bit. So as a business, my goal isn't for people to feel more secure. As a business, my goal is either to get more people to try us out at first or to get more people to stick with us. Okay. Right? So, so the question is, am, am, am I solving a perception of security problem for people who've never interacted with us? Or am I solving a perception of security problem for people who've interacted with us and then leave because they feel insecure? And either way, you're solving my perception, which is I've already jumped to a solution without identifying the problem. Right. So the thing that you teased out as the business goal is really kind of the feature, right? Yeah. A, okay. A more secure, right? Ability to interact securely is the way I would talk about writing that feature. Okay. Perfect. And then I can get down into the acceptance criteria of saying it requires out-of-band communication, like a yeah. code to your phone or whatever or it has to work within two seconds, or it has to, uh, whatever, whatever it is. Like all the different acceptance criteria of the feature yeah. that describe your design approach so that the teams who are implementing know whether or not what they're building matches the design. Okay. And then they combine that with the user goals of I want to secure, I want to transact securely and the acceptance criteria of the user, right? So all of those things really come together. Okay based on our belief that if we solve that problem, it will, to some degree, either increase attraction of customers or, re or increase retention of customers. Okay. And we would set a target that says, if we could, let's say, let's say we lose 20% of our customers every quarter. And if we could cut that number in half, that would be enough benefit to justify all of this investment in security. Okay. Or, and security, because it's usually not about retention, security is usually about uh, compliance risk is okay. the easiest way to think about it. Sure. Right. If we get hacked and all of our customers' passwords get put on the darknet somewhere and yeah. there's a big news story about it, how much does that cost us? 
right? right. And what does it cost us, right? Are we going to get fined by the FCC or we're, you know, the governing body wherever our company is based? Are we going to, how much business are we going to lose, you know, as a hotel chain who has shared social security numbers, their passport IDs yeah. with, with companies? Uh, how much, you know, how much discretionary business did we lose? You know, did we lose share of wallet? Did we lose customers entirely? Was it a non-event because, you know, what, there is a point of view about how valuable it is to the business to solve that problem. Okay. And then given the team we have and the capacity and capabilities we have, there is some cost associated and that's cost in terms of measured cost and opportunity cost, but that's another podcast. There's some cost associated with solving that problem. So I want to go back to your, your overlap there for a second. Sure. So that just for the folks that are listening in case they didn't draw it like I did, we've got the things that the company wants to do because they'll advance our strategy. We have the things that the customer wants. Um, just like it just happened to me by accident, I'm assuming that if we were talking about senior leadership, you know, let's talk about this thing we're going to create. We want them to start at the epic level, but I'm also assuming that most of the time they're going to come in at what you're describing as the feature level, and we're going to have to coax them back up to the epic level and then work our way back down to feature. Yes. Uh, yeah. The good ideas come from everywhere. Okay. And the, the main thing for our organizations to think about is that they look at them from all three sides. But they're going to come in often with solution instead of the outcome. It's, it's, yeah, it's very often that the language of describing a problem starts with somebody initiating a conversation describing a solution. Okay. And, 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 and that's the product craft, to shift that dialogue from let me figure out how to give you the thing you want to let me understand why you want the thing. And if it is the right thing to give you, then we'll figure out, then we'll know whether or not it worked. And we'll know how to respond to the market. We'll know how to make investment trade-off decisions about the potential value of doing that thing versus some other thing. Okay. And having some, um, somebody like leading agile or some third party in there who can be more objective and, watch how these conversations are happening is, is something that you would want to have in order to be able to move back and forth between these levels and get greater clarity. Uh, you know what? That's, that's a, that's the bandaid to the acute problem, okay. which is I'm trying to have a conversation right now. I need someone in the room to help me. Yeah. But you also want some Neosporin to help heal the wound <laughs> of developing the, the ability internally yeah. To facilitate those conversations without somebody like leading agile in the room, helping you. So and, we would help so them have practice, the conversation and teach them to have it on their own. Absolutely. Right. That, okay. That, you know, we, we talk about our system of transformation and our system of uh, delivery, but there is also a system of sustainability that we are developing, right? We are, we are imparting knowledge, perspective techniques, uh, and an appreciation for the importance of them into the folks that we work with at the clients where we work. Okay. And that's a, that's a big deal, right? We're not just putting in uh, structure and metrics. We're putting in the thinking that allows effective governance. Okay. So that they can do this on their own when when we're done and we can go help somebody else. Yes. 
Okay. That's, that's absolutely part of our conversations and prioritization of designing any given engagement that Leading Agile does. Okay. So can I switch gears a little bit? Please do. All right. So if these things are not things where we flow from one level to the next and to the next is sort of like this, you know, work breakdown structure kind of approach. Is there a way to create some kind of traceability from a user story or a task level back up to the Epic, which I'm in my brain is at a much more strategic level now than it was when we first started this podcast. (laughs) Well, excellent. So, um, so we are sustainably uh, having a great conversation. Uh, Yes, there's, there's two ways to address that sustainability. I, and I would break them into, or that traceability and I would break them into sort of mechanical and conceptual. Okay. So in the mechanical side, this is the one that's really visible. Uh, or visible first or easiest to deal with. Think about in terms of uh, your ALM tool, your, your you know, Jira or... Um, Rally version Rally, one. Yeah, yeah. All, all EFS, of those different tools. whatever you're using, yeah. Right. Your, your stories are the artifacts that exist that the team pulls into the sprint and executes against and, you know, breaks down into tasks or not. And at the team level, they're working those stories until they declare them done. And those stories have links up to the features and the features are getting tracked in terms of which releases they get scheduled into and when they get done. And so oh, then that's features. important. Okay. Yeah. And so those features, so get stories linked. get, Oh, good. I'm going to stop uh, interrupting you. The, the features get linked up to the epics, which are uh, managed in the context of a roadmap that says, this is what we're thematically trying to accomplish over time. Maybe it's quarter by quarter of release by release. So, so mechanically, all of those things are linked. And then conceptually, we'll get to in a second after your question. Okay, I've been sitting here with my hand over my mouth because I wanted to jump in again so badly. This is huge. So I'm teaching roadmaps in class. That's the epic level. And then when we get to the releases, we're talking about the feature level. And when we get to the sprints, we're talking about the stories. Absolutely. And all and- these things can live in the product backlog together. They just have to, we have to, some kind of connection, some way of knowing, you know, what's part of what? Uh, uh, sort of. So they all live in the backlogs, but they're really kind of different backlogs. You've got, a, you've got sprint backlog or story backlogs for the delivery teams. You've got a feature backlog for your product or program teams. And you have an epic backlog for your portfolio teams. So you have in, in our system of delivery, and you can use other systems of delivery as well, which you know, we will help you do. But uh, as far as I know, every client that we've talked to who thought they wanted to use a different system, when we met with them, decided that they wanted to use our system of delivery. Okay. But setting that aside. Yes. uh, You have the opportunity to be wrong if you'd like to. (laughs) Yeah. But well, or, or, or more aligned with the rest of your organization or whatever. Okay. Uh, The, these different teams have, different levels or different concerns, different yeah. levels of concern. And so they're focusing on different things. At the portfolio level, we are making the best use of our capacity and capability to advance the needs of the business. And that's why we think about the flow of epics and the development of roadmaps. At the program team or product team level, 
we are focusing on release planning and getting things done and coordinating work across multiple teams with dependencies and orchestrating and all of that jazz, but we're flowing on how we choose to solve for what we're choosing to solve for. And then at the delivery level, we have teams, you know, I always talk about these as my hands on keyboards teams, right? This is, this is the team doing the work and their focus is on making sure we build things that solve the user's problems in alignment with the architectural approach that the program teams came up with in support of the business objectives that the portfolio team is prioritizing. So there is, and you know, and that's one of the things that's a little bit tricky is that sort of hierarchical view and you can draw it like a hierarchy. If somebody is only glancing at the diagram, it looks as if a feature is a big story and an epic is an even bigger story. Yeah. But that's not what they are, right? They are really different kinds of things in support of each other. And that's what makes this, it's, it's an eye opener when you draw it and it clicks for somebody. And it's so exciting for me to have this conversation with folks. Different viewpoints. Yeah, because they have different concerns. They're trying to solve different problems. And we have to simultaneously solve all three of them, which brings us all the way back to the intro of the podcast of, just treating epics as if they are big stories is insufficient to solving this kind of an organizational challenge. And there are artifacts that don't really live very well in the, in the rallies and jeers of the world uh, that help you conceptually see the connections between stories and features and epics in a much better way. And the two, the two most effective tools that I've used for that are user story mapping to create a connection between features and stories where across the top of a user story map, I am telling the story of the features, right? The ability to do things. So the features are going above the spine. Yes, they are. Okay. Yeah, they are. They or they are the spine. If you want to yeah. think about it. That yeah. Way. Yeah. Okay. And, and then the stories that represent the, adaptation of user goals in the context of a particular solution approach. Yeah. And you map that out. And then that gives you a context for doing release planning and minimal marketable features and all of that. All of that great capability gives you a conceptual alignment of these stories are advancing user goals in the context of this kind of an experience. And right, that information mechanically lives inside your ALM tool. But it doesn't conceptually. It's, it, you can't look at the traceability matrix inside that tool and get the richness of context that you right. get by having a user story map. Okay. And then the other one is an impact map. And we, we use an impact map in large organizations to do a lot more than it was originally created to do. But essentially what it does is it says, at the right-hand side, these are the things we're going to go build, right? So these are our features. And we're building these things because they solve problems for our users, which we believe when we solve those problems will cause changes in behavior for those users, which we believe will lead to the outcomes that advance our goals as an organization. So on the left-hand side, I'm talking about growing market share or increasing the effectiveness of my funnel or whatever. In the middle, I'm identifying people who are uncomfortable with their level of security and we're solving the problems associated with that. And on the right, I'm building my two-factor authentication. So that impact map creates, it, it actually forces you into the overlap of that Venn 
between things that are beneficial to the to the user and beneficial to the business. Yeah. Okay, and we're going to have I've got a podcast coming up on capability mapping and impact mapping soon. Um, can I go back to the story mapping conversation because I want there's something that came up in that that I want to just clarify in case people get stuck on it like my brain did. Okay, sure. We talked about features being something we would discuss at the release level. And then we talked about them being the spine of the story. I'm sorry, the spine of the story map. Right. And the user stories would fall under that. And and you said, and that is a way that we would start to do release planning. So that would mean in, in my head, what I'm now thinking is that a feature could end up being split because some of the stories that tie to that feature are being released now and some later. Absolutely. Okay. So now and, it's and like so, multi-dimensional way of yeah it, well yeah it is right but uh, keeping our outside-in footing as yeah. as black people uh, the nature of the problem and the approach to solving it is a truth that exists regardless of our organizational capacity or capability right so you can build a user story map that says this describes a way to solve it. That is that that has some element of or aspect of truth, and that journey map would be just as useful for our competitor as it is for us. Yeah. And okay. then and then we say, okay, how do we get good at finishing things? How do we understand our capacity and our capabilities and our dependencies and all of the orchestration work we have to do to be able to say we can't do all of it at once? So what part do we do first? And and then we sort that out against that same backdrop of how, how do we accelerate the delivery of value by solving half of the problems versus creating half-solved problems. Yeah. Right. right. Un- unpacking that is an interesting thing. And it creates uh, another nuance of language around features. So I build up that user story map and I said, I've got features going across the spine, but then in any given release, I'm not releasing a partial feature. I'm releasing a feature. And it's, it's like we've overloaded the term, right? So if, I, if I'm tracking the work in a release, that feature is actually the creation of or improvement of a capability. And okay. maybe one feature is partially improving it. And then in the next release, another feature Amping it is up. continuing to improve the yeah. same capability. That's, that's how this connects into capability modeling also. Features are creation, or they're the leaf nodes in a capability model. Yeah. So is it fair to say that, I mean, starting out with my original definition in the beginning, what we're, one of the things that we're trying to do is to help people see the work in a much richer context where there's, there's multiple viewpoints into what we're trying to do, understanding you know, not just what do we think the answer is, but what is the problem? Do we have the ability to solve the problem? Is this the right thing to do to solve the problem? Um, instead of just this very linear, here's my backlog, I'm doing this first, I'm doing this second. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And that's why Epic as a big story fails in a large organization. Because in a large organization, one, it's more complicated for us to do stuff. Yeah. And two, we tend to try and do bigger stuff. Okay. This was awesome. I really appreciate this conversation. I feel like, I mean, we're only tw- not even 12 hours into the new year and my brain's already exploded once. Excellent. <laughs> this is great. Um, if people want to get in touch with you to find out more about this topic, what's the best way for them to do that? 
uh, probably the best way is, is to find me on Twitter and ping me. Uh, okay. Salthorst is my Twitter handle. Um, okay. But also send me an email, scott.sellhorst at leadingagile.com. That's, okay. that's another great way to engage as well. And I'll put a link to your blog as well. So they've got oh, that perfect. too. Thank you. Um, thank you, sir. Thank you. This was great. <laughs>